Hi. Okay, no one's awake. All right. Good morning, everyone. Hey, there are some people. All right. Those of you online, you probably did a way better job than we did here. Uh, but good morning. Uh, if I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, a teaching pastor for Riverwood, and it's my privilege to get to take you into our second week of Advent. And to start, I want to start by asking a question. How many of you have ever had this deep, deep longing for something in life? Let, let, let me put a few parameters around that. I'm not talking about like a longing for ice cream. Right, we're, we're talking about this deep yearning that like lasts for years. Maybe it was like a particular person that you just had fixated yourself upon, wanting like that's the person I'm going to marry. Or maybe it was after you're married, this longing to have a child. Or maybe it was a particular job or, or a business that you wanted to start. Maybe it was an athletic achievement that you wanted to attain. Maybe it was a certain level of income. Maybe it was a, a dream house, a dream car. But it was something that inside you just had to have. And so you found yourself at night, like laying in bed, thinking about this. Or when you woke up in the morning, it's the first thing on your mind. You're driving in the car, you're scrolling on your phone, and you just can't help but think about this. And somehow, deep down inside, you are almost convinced, if I don't get this, I will not be at peace. So now, has anyone been there before? Okay, thank you. I thought I was going to be alone for a second. Uh, yeah, I think so many of us have. We, we've longed for something, and we want peace. So now let me ask you another question. What happens when you don't get it? What, what's your emotional response when the thing that you've been longing for just keeps waiting, and it even seems like it's not going to happen? Like, when she actually ends up marrying someone else? Or, or when the doctors say, I'm sorry, but there's just no way you're going to be pregnant? That, that when you've given everything to win the gold and yet someone else beats you out, what's your emotional response when you don't get the thing that you have yearned for? Some people, they just get apathetic. They just, they just give up. It's like they, they don't even care anymore. Some people, they get angry. I mean, they, they just, they deserved this. Why can't I have this? That's supposed to be mine. Some people, they actually think that God is like punishing them. They can think back to in their life when they did something really stupid, where they sinned, where they did something, and they think, that's it, God's so mad at me, he's, gonna, he's punishing me. He won't let me have this thing. He doesn't want me to be at peace. Today, we get to meet a couple that longed to have a child. But after years and years and years of infertility, we're going to see at least the husband reach a place where he just becomes resigned. He just, he gives up. And he's just let the dream go. And we're going to see what happens when the dream is put in front of him. And we'll discover how this actually ties in with Christmas. So to see the story, if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Luke chapter 1, Luke 1. If you're a first-time guest joining us online, please, thank you for uh, uh, being here, but please feel free to, to not worry about it. We're going to have the scripture up on the screen. You're going to be able to read right along with us, but we just strongly encourage you to get a Bible. If you don't have one, uh, we would love to give you one. Uh, now, at Riverwood, we don't care if it's a paper Bible or a, a digital Bible. We just want you to have one. So if you have a, a smartphone, download a Bible to it, and then feel free to pull it out. If you're here in person, you're noticing some people pulling out their phones.
phones, and that's a-okay with us. If you want to go old school like me, and you want a paper Bible, uh, go buy yourself one. Make it your Christmas present to yourself, and then begin to use it every day. And if you just can't afford a Bible, let us know. Uh, send us an email. My email is Aaron, E-R-I-N, at weareriverwood.org. We will gladly come and drive and drop one off at your house, or we'll mail you one. We want you to have a Bible. That would be our Christmas gift to you, especially knowing that you would use it. Um, as we get ready to read from Luke chapter 1, we're going to do verses 5 through 25 to begin, but let me, uh, let me pray before we read. Heavenly Father, we are about to come to your holy scriptures. You wrote these words long ago, and they have impacted millions of people throughout time. But now we gather in person and online to learn from it yet again. And so God, would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to our minds? Would this go beyond anything that I as a human could say? And this would go to what your spirit wants to say. Uh, and so Lord, accomplish in us what you need to today. Help us today to find some joy. Help us today to, to, to find peace. Help us to be reminded of your faithfulness. Help us, Father, to draw closer to you through your words today. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. All right, so let's meet this couple that cannot have a child. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah." to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent. And unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Well, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So today we get to meet Zechariah 
and Elizabeth. Uh, we're going to see Elizabeth a little more next week, so today we're going to focus a lot on Zechariah. What we learn about Zechariah is that he is a priest. Uh, he's serving in the temple. It tells us that he's out of the division of Abijah, one of the lines of priests. But interestingly enough, his wife Elizabeth is also out of a line of priests. Now, women could not be priests at that time, but she was from the line of Aaron. If you're not sure who Aaron is, he was the brother of Moses way back when, and he was the very first priest, he and his sons, and they established the priesthood of Levi. Well, she's out of that line. So it's interesting that we've got these two people out of the line of priests serving the people, but they'd have no child. They're childless. And he even tells us that they are advanced in age. Now, when I read advanced in age, I start thinking of someone who's like in their, maybe their 70s, their 80s. That's probably not the case here. Uh, several years ago, I learned that in Rome, uh, in, in first century Roman Empire, the average lifespan was about 30 to 40 years. All right, so if you reached 40 years of age, you were over 40, you would start to be considered old. So guess what? I'm old, I guess. Well, if you reached 50, you were probably like a patriarch or a matriarch. And if you reached 60, you probably had a dinosaur as a pet. I mean, you would have been considered like ancient back then. Well, I don't believe that uh, uh, Zechariah was over 50 because Numbers 8.25 tells us that a priest retires at the age of 50. So here he is still working as a priest, so he hasn't quit. So I don't think he's reached 50 yet, but if he's going to be advanced in years, I think he's probably at least in his mid-40s, probably upper 40s. So we're going to say today that Zechariah is probably around 47, 48, maybe 49 years of age, approaching retirement which would mean, based on the way they would get married back then, that means Elizabeth is probably around 42, 43, maybe 44 years of age. So they're not old and wrinkly, but they're beyond the uh, birth-giving years. In fact, most of their peers would actually have become grandparents. Some of them had even become great-grandparents, and yet they have no kids, which would have been really confusing to their friends and neighbors. Because the scriptures teach that kids are a blessing from the Lord. And because typically a married couple has kids, if you didn't have kids, you were the aberration. And so if you didn't have kids, some people started to think that maybe you like had some secret sin. Maybe God was like punishing you. You were, you were being disciplined. And yet you could look at Zechariah and Elizabeth and see they are a godly couple. Everyone loved them. Everyone respected them. They were so devout. They were so righteous. So it just didn't connect. Why had God not given such a wonderful woman like Elizabeth a child? Well, it's because God had a plan. His plan was to save her for this point so that he could bring John into the world because he was going to use John to prepare the way for Jesus. But Zechariah and Elizabeth don't know the plan. They're, they're, they're living the story. They imagine that, that uh, back then uh, women would get married when they're around 13, 14, maybe 15 years of age. All right, so Zechariah was probably around 18, 19, maybe 20 years old. So if that's the case, if she was 14 and now she's 44, they've been married 30 years. <laughs> their, their peers have grandkids, maybe even great grandkids, and, and they have nothing. They've been praying and praying and praying to have a child. And God doesn't seem to be giving the answer to their prayers. Now, I don't know what Elizabeth's response is. Maybe she never lost faith. Maybe even here at 44 years of age, she still believes God can work a miracle. I mean, if God could do it with Abraham and Sarah back in the book of Genesis, maybe God could do it again. Maybe God could work a miracle. Maybe she hasn't given up, but Zechariah has. 
Zechariah has resigned himself. I'm never going to get to be a dad. And the reason we know that is because of his response when the dream is offered to him again. You know, it, I love how God is so sovereign. He, he intentionally chooses Zechariah's group to be on uh, the schedule to go into the temple at that particular time. And Jen, if you notice, it says that Zechariah's name was drew, drawn by Lot. So he's the one who goes in to the temple. And as he's in there, in the Holy of Holies, burning the, the incense, doing these things on behalf of the people in their worship of God, an angel appears. First words from the angel are, do not be afraid. Because it would be petrifying to suddenly have some being suddenly start glowing in front of you. But then he says, congrats, Zechariah. You're going to have a son. He just offered him the dream. I mean, Zechariah has seen his wife's tears. For 25, 30 years, they prayed for a child. It doesn't look like they're going to have it. They're now beyond the childbearing ages. And suddenly the angel says, guess what? You're going to have a kid. And the reason we know that Zechariah had given up is because he doubted. He doubted Gabriel. He's like, how, how, how can this be? I, mean, I, I love it how Zechariah like, takes a moment to like, say, um, are you sure you got the right person? Because my wife and I, we're advanced in years. Like, we're too old to have kids. My wife is beyond childbearing age. It ain't going to happen. Sorry. Like, what did he expect Gabriel to do? Like, oh, wait a second. Aren't, I'm looking for Jonas. Oh, no, you're Zechariah. I'm so sorry. I got the wrong guy. Oh, yeah, forget everything I just said. No, Gabriel looks at him like, uh, dude, I know who you are. This is what's going to happen. God has heard your prayers, and he's answering them. And then Gabriel looks at him and says, and because you wouldn't believe my words, you are not going to be able to speak words. And he makes Zechariah mute. So let's fast forward nine months. Flip, uh, if you've got a paper Bible, flip a page, head over to verse 57. If you're on your phone, scroll down to verse 57, and let's pick up the story there. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by his, this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. So nine months have passed. Zechariah is still mute and Elizabeth gives birth to his son. Just as the angel had said, it finally happens. And so on the eighth day, according to Jewish custom, they would take him to the local synagogue or to the temple to have him circumcised. Uh, there, there was quite a, a bit in the Old Testament law that your firstborn son, there were all these dedications that you're supposed to do, but then he's to be circumcised. And then at his circumcision ceremony, he is to be named. Well, Zechariah, who would normally do the naming, can't speak. And so the temple officials, they all really love Zechariah. They really respect him. So they're going to help out. They're going to name him. And so they all like Zechariah. So it makes sense to name the kid after him. So Zeki Jr. it is. And suddenly Elizabeth speaks up and says, no, 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 his name is John. Now you, you got to understand that the women in that day, they, they wouldn't be in a position to really like have the authority to, to name their child. So I'm sure these temple officials are looking at her like, whoa, whoa, what, what are you doing? 
You know, like, they're, they're probably a little offended. Like, uh, no, we, we, we got this taken care of. Your husband can't talk, so we're going to step in and we're going to do this. But Mama Bear, she knows. She knows. Dad said his name is John. That's what the angel said in the temple. His name is John. And so I love this next part. They make motions to Zechariah. Now, some commentaries I read this week said that, that Zechariah, that means he probably was also deaf. And, and these commentaries are written by guys way smarter than me. But I, forgive me, I kind of don't think he was deaf. It, Luke, the author, was a doctor. Luke tends to get really a little more detailed when it comes to people's ailments. So I think if Zechariah was actually deaf, Luke would have put it in there. I think he's just merely mute. But why would they give motions to him? Why would they play charades? Well, because Zechariah is mute, he would have to use motions to try to indicate what he wants. And so they just begin to communicate in the same way. So they're like, Zechariah, what do you want to name the baby? Zechariah rolls his eyes, motions, give me a tablet. And he takes a pen, dips it in the ink, and he gets ready to write. Now I want you to imagine this moment. Think about all that has taken place so far. Here you've got this couple that had no kids. They're advanced in age, and suddenly they now have a baby. And this has happened after the dad, a well-respected priest, has gone into the temple to do the same duty that other priests have done, except he walks out and he can no longer talk. And somehow they've kind of caught on that he saw an angel, he had a vision, and now it's, they have a child. And then they get ready to name the kid to do what every other Jewish family does. You give him a family name, they're going to name him after his dad, a well-respected guy, who's also named after a very famous Old Testament prophet. So this just takes total sense. And now mom speaks up, which women aren't supposed to do, and she yells, his name is John. So everyone's curious. What is Zechariah going to write? So they all gather around behind his shoulders. They're looking over, and he puts the pen to paper, and he writes, his name is John. And in that moment, Zechariah's tongue is loosed, and he can speak. And that is when we hear his Christmas song. Pick it up in verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to redeem his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, there are several things about Zechariah's song that uh, I want to point out. The first is pretty obvious. Uh, Zechariah is filled with joy. First of all, he can finally talk after nine months. I mean, I had strep a couple weeks ago, and it hurt so bad to talk, I just didn't talk for like three days. I mean, that was rough enough. You know, like, can you imagine going nine, ten months without being able to speak? Like, I'm sure Elizabeth got really, really frustrated some days. And now he can finally talk. But more importantly, he has a son. 
between nine, 10 months of not talking is nothing compared to waiting 25, 30 years for this kid. So he has joy. I mean, Gabriel even told him he would. He said, you will be filled with joy and gladness. And so it's obvious that he has joy. But because next week we're going to look at the topic of joy, because that's the week three topic in Advent, let's, let's move on. Because not only is he singing with joy, we notice one thing. He sings about faithfulness. Faithfulness. I mean, look, look at the faithfulness of God that we see here within. He goes all the way back to Abraham. Go down to verse 72. He says that to show the mercy promised to our fathers, so he's referring to their ancestors, all those who've come before him, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father, Abraham. All the way back in, in the book of Genesis, in, in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abraham that he's going to create the Jewish people. And in Genesis 15, he promises Abraham that even if you break your covenant with me, I will not break my covenant with you, and I will take the punishment. And that ends up being fulfilled through Jesus on the cross. So God makes this promise 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years before these events are taking place. And Abraham, I mean, uh, Zechariah is just absolutely blown away, just cannot believe it. God is fulfilling his word given thousands of years ago. But not only is God fulfilling the word, showing his faithfulness from thousands of years, he even is showing his faithfulness to David. Notice up there in verse 69 and 70. It says that, uh, and God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. When, when David was king, God had promised him that he would put on the throne one whose, whose uh, like throne reign would never end. That ends up being fulfilled in Jesus. But then he goes on in verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. In other words, Zechariah is saying, God has been telling us this. Not only did he tell Abraham, he's been telling Isaiah. He's been telling Jeremiah. He's been telling Hosea and Amos and all these other prophets about this Messiah that was going to come. And God has fulfilled his word. And this is particularly exciting because God has been silent up to this point for the previous 400 years. Like, from when the last book of what we call, what we Christians call the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, from the last word of Malachi to the coming of Jesus was 400 years. In fact, let's go and look at what God said to Malachi. It's Malachi, you don't have to flip there because we're coming back to, to Luke, but Malachi 4, 5 and 6, the very last words that God said through a prophet to the uh, Israelites. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. So God is prophesying that there's going to be this great and awesome day of the Lord. In other words, the coming of this Messiah. There will be a day when the Messiah comes. And to prepare for that Messiah to come, God will send Elijah the prophet. And he will use that prophet to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And then nothing for 400 years. That's the last thing that the Jews had to go on. And they have this memorized. They believe this is a prophecy about the Messiah. So they're watching for Elijah. Well, what was it that the angel said to Zechariah? Gabriel said this in Luke 1, 17. And he, referring to your son, John, and he will go before him, the Messiah, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient, which I'm thinking is referring to the children, to the wisdom of the just, which is obviously us fathers, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah realizes 
God not only was keeping the promise that he'd made to Abraham, the promise that he'd made to David, God was even keeping the promise he'd given through Malachi, the last words that they had heard, and now 400 years later was going to be fulfilled. And so Zechariah cannot help but sing about the faithfulness of God. Which means if you are going through a really, really rough time right now, you might find yourself doubting the faithfulness of God. You may think that God's forgotten your situation. He may not care. Maybe he's punishing you or disciplining you. What you need to hear out of Zechariah's song is God is faithful. He is with you. And even if you sensed in your heart and in, in, in mind years ago that God was going to do something in you, the fact that you're still breathing means God isn't done. That if he could be faithful to Abraham, if he could be faithful to David, if he could be faithful to Malachi, and he could be faithful to Zechariah and Elizabeth and give them a son, God will be faithful with you. So don't give up. Don't let 2020 rob you. Hold on. He's faithful. Because when you realize God is faithful, it will not only fill you with joy, it will also give you the next thing we need to see in his song, which is our Advent theme for the day. It will fill you with peace. Um, Zechariah sings here about two types of peace. The first type of peace we see is a national peace. If you still have your Bibles open there to Zechariah's song, look at verse uh, 71. He sings that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. If you have a, even a general awareness of the Old Testament history, of, of Israel's history, think about all that they went through as a nation. They were in slavery in Egypt. They get out, but they wander in the desert for 40 years. They finally crawl, cross over into what was considered the promised land, but they had to fight wars in order to get it. There were times when they were defeated and beat, but they had to continue to follow God. Then they did. They get established. They, they reign as a nation, but they begin to fall away, and they don't follow God. So God keeps warning them through the prophets, I'm going to send these nations to destroy you if you don't change your ways. But they don't change their ways, and so they do. They end up defeated in war. They end up in exile. They end up coming back. I mean, this nation has been through so much. And that's why when a prophet would say, God would say, I'm going to bring you peace, they would cling on to that. And so it's no surprise when Zechariah hears that, that his son is going to be the predecessor to the Messiah, that the Messiah is on his way, that he would sing the, um, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. But Zechariah is not just singing about a national peace he also talks about an internal peace. I mean, and who could blame him? I mean, after longing so long for a child and now getting it, that, that right there would bring him some internal peace. Zechariah is such a humble man, he's not singing about himself. He is singing about an internal peace that anyone can find. And we find that down in verse 76. As we get ready to reread these words, I just want you to imagine the, the moment. Got this Jewish priest, got the, the long beard, he's got on the, the priestly robes, and he's holding his son. I mean, they, they, they're at the temple, his son's being uh, uh, circumcised, he hasn't been able to talk for nine or ten months, and now his tongue is loosed, they've named him John, and he knows who his son is. And so as the tears well up in his eyes, he sings this, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High 
For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah is absolutely overwhelmed to realize that his son is going to prepare the way for this Messiah. But many Jewish scholars of Zechariah's day, the, the theologians, they believed that the, all these messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, they were prophesying about a conquering king. Again, think back to Israel's history. How many times they were defeated, how they either were in exile or even now in Zechariah's time, the Roman Empire is reigning and ruling over them. And what the people longed for was freedom. They wanted to be their own sovereign nation. They wanted to control themselves. They wanted to be a superpower. And they were waiting for God to bring that king who would take the throne of David and lead them to victory, overthrowing this empire and establishing Israel. But what so many of the scholars missed is that this Messiah who would come wasn't only going to be this conquering king. He would also be a suffering servant. Because there were prophecies pointing to this Messiah who is going to end up dying for the sins of the people. And Zechariah, whether because of his study or just here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, points it out in verse 77, that his son was going to be the predecessor for the Messiah, and this Messiah would give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. See, Zechariah ended up realizing that what the Israelite people needed wasn't just to have Rome overthrown what they needed was their sins forgiven. Because empires come and go. I mean, there had been the Babylonian Empire, there had been the Egyptians, there had been the Assyrians, and now there were the Romans. But you know who had been reigning through all of that? On the spiritual plane, it was sin. Ever since Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, sin had been reigning in the spiritual realm. And Jesus came to throw off that spiritual empire to establish the kingdom of God. And Zechariah sings about it because he knows that's what people really need. The problem is so many of us were looking for that inner peace through external means. We think if our tyrannical government is overthrown, we will have peace. If we think, if I can find a spouse, I will finally have peace. If I could just have a child, I'll have peace. If I can reach a certain economic level, if I get a certain job, if I get the dream house, if I have that car, if I have that achievement, if I get these things, then I will have inner peace. So that's why so many of us long. That's why so many of us yearn. It's why we lose sleep over it. We think about it as we drive in our cars. We scroll on our phone. It consumes our thoughts and our feelings because we think if I get that, I'll be complete. I'll have joy. I will be at peace. And yet so many people have chased after those things and gotten it. And they don't discover peace. And Zechariah is singing that what we need is Jesus that what we need is the forgiveness of our sins. And when you begin to value Jesus over all these other things, that's when you find peace. And then, when you have this peace in Jesus through the gospel, then when you get married, or then when you get the kid, or then when you get the job, or then when, when, whenever the dream was, 
it's just bonus. Because that's not what life was all about. Your life has become all about Jesus. And when God allows and brings these other things into your life, it just causes you to shout with joy. You sing about his faithfulness. But your peace is not because you finally got that. Your peace is because you already have Jesus. Which means if you're here today and you have not surrendered your life to Christ, I want today to be your spiritual birthday. As we look at the arrival of John the Baptist, I would love for today to be about you arriving into the kingdom of God. Most people, when they realize that this whole entire story is true, that, that not only did God send John the Baptist to a, a, a childless mom and dad, but that, that John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, he began to point people to the kingdom of God, ultimately doing so by going to a cross and dying for our sins in our place so that our sins could be paid for and we could come into a relationship with God. When people realize that this story is true, as crazy as it is, they usually confess their sins because they realize, I am fall so short of this amazing story. And so they surrender their life to Jesus. They confess their sins and they say, Jesus, because you gave your life for me, I'm going to give my life to now follow you. I'd love for today to be your day. In just a moment, we're going to be praying. And I'm going to encourage you to take that time to pray and, and to give your life to God. But I also realize that a number of you, you, you made a decision like that a, a while ago. That, that you would say, but Aaron, I am a Christian already, but I don't have peace. Usually you don't have peace because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus and you've put your eyes on your external circumstances. And you're thinking that your peace will be found when you get that thing, that person, that achievement. Today, it's just a, a chance for you to, to reorient yourself, to regain a proper perspective and put your focus back on Jesus. Because he came to give you the forgiveness of sins. That's the greatest thing you could ever receive. And so because you already have the greatest gift you could ever receive, everything else is bonus. And so when you go through a tough time, when you compare it to the cross and what Jesus has already done for you, it begins to fade and pales in comparison. And you can still have that joy, you can still have that peace, even when everything else around you seems to be in chaos. So look back to the cross. Look back to Jesus. Reorient yourself. Let yourself begin to sing Zechariah's song to help you find peace. To help us reorient ourselves and put our focus back on uh, Jesus. We're going to celebrate communion now. Uh, if, if you're uh, online with us, now's the time to go and grab your elements. Uh, if you're here in person with us, um, our ushers are going to be coming around. And uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, um, what they do is we just ask you to hold out your hand, and they will put the cup uh, in your hands. Uh, on that cup is a little uh, foil on the top. You can take out the little piece of bread when you're ready, and then you can take the cup when you are ready as well. I'm just going to ask that if you are not a follower of Jesus yet, I'm just going to ask that you very respectfully abstain. Uh, by taking of these elements, you're basically proclaiming the gospel. You're proclaiming that Jesus went to a cross to die for your sins. So if, if this story is a part of your story, even if you're a first-time guest, you're a follower of Christ, please worship with us and participate in this. But if you're not quite there yet, we're just going to ask that you not take the elements. Because right now, the most important thing is not whether you take some bread and some juice. The most important thing is where are you in life? Because if you've been spending all of your time yearning for something in this world, trying to find that inner peace to the external things, right now you need to deal with God. And so you need to not worry about these elements. You need to go in prayer and talk to God. God, is this all true? 
Is that true inner peace that I've been looking for? Is it really found in Jesus? If so, help me to see it. Help me to understand. Help me to follow you. So let us go now and do this in remembrance of him.